I am extremely excited about what's going on at Whole Foods Market right now. It is the Taste the Mediterranean sales event, a store-wide, flavor-packed journey of regionally-inspired selections. Save on Mediterranean-inspired flavors like Parmigiano-Reggiano, Charcuterie, Whole Branzino, Sustainable Wild-Caught Sockeye Salmon. Right now, they're on sale at Whole Foods, okay? Wines from the sun-soaked vineyards of Spain, Greece, and Italy start at just $8.99. Must be 21+. plus. Please drink responsibly. Taste the Mediterranean now at Whole Foods Market. Lately, I've been working on learning Spanish with Rosetta Stone. The app makes it so easy, and Rosetta Stone has the most advanced speech recognition tech built in. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Sporkful listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com sporkful today. see right now all these chefs are here dressed in white all gathering together uh, a lot of them were torn up or torn apart uh, during covid lost track of each other maybe moved away and now they're all back here celebrating this great show in december the cincinnati chef jean robert de cavell died at age 61 after a battle with cancer his family held a memorial service at a catholic basilica in downtown cincinnati close to 1300 people turned out the family asked mourners to wear blue, or if they were a chef, to wear their white chef's coats. There was a lot of white. Keith Pandolfi was there. He's a food and dining writer for the Cincinnati Inquirer. It was such a show of love and affection for this chef that came to this city so many years ago and changed the entire culinary landscape. Keith grew up in Cincinnati and loves it deeply. Over the last 40 years, he's seen the city have its share of struggles. He saw a lot of people leave. And for him, Jean Robert meant a lot. Because even in the city's toughest times, Jean Robert was the chef who stayed. This is The Sporkful. It's not for foodies, it's for eaters. I'm Dan Pashman. Each week on our show, we obsess about food to learn more about people. I had never heard of Jean Robert de Cavell when I visited Cincinnati five years ago. Before that trip, I asked listeners for recommendations where to eat. I did, of course, try the city's famous chili, served over spaghetti and topped with shredded cheddar cheese. But I also heard from many of you that Cincinnati has a history as a hub of fine French dining. Maybe it's because I don't know much about fine French dining, but that was a surprise to me. The biggest name in that scene was Jean Robert. So when I went to Cincy, I talked with him to hear the story of how a classically trained French chef ended up there. In the first half of the show, I'm going to replay that conversation. In the second half, we'll hear about the big changes in the Cincinnati food scene since then and what it tells us about the city as a whole and Jean Robert's legacy. So let's get into the story of Jean Robert and Cincinnati in the form of a love story between a chef and a city. Jean Robert was not the first French chef Cincinnati would fall for. In fact, Cincinnati kind of always had a thing for French chefs. Way before Jean Robert arrived, there were three very fancy French restaurants in Cincinnati, the Maisonette, the Gourmet Room, and Pigalle's. By the 1960s, late 1960s, early 1970s, there were, those restaurants all were five-star restaurants, according to the mobile travel guide. That was one more than what New York had at the time. And uh, Chicago, I think at that point, had none. L.A. had none. Cincinnati had three. They are as high-end as they come when it comes to French cuisine. This is Keith Pandolfi, the food writer you heard at the start of the show. 
Keith grew up in Cincinnati in the 70s and 80s. He says the city turned him into a food snob, even though... I never went to the Masonette in my lifetime. I, you know, my father went a couple times, and I remember it was a big deal, and he got out his best suit. But you have so many companies headquartered in Cincinnati. You have Procter & Gamble. You had Kroger. Uh, Macy's is now there. Um, so there, there, was, there was a lot of money, but it was also these restaurants were places that if you're trying to recruit somebody from, say, New York or L.A., uh, you, when you were working, you were working at Procter & Gamble trying to recruit someone, you would take them to the Masonette and wild them and give them a big night out. That period peaked in the 50s and 60s. In the 70s, the U.S. economy started to tank, and those big companies tightened their belts. The days of lavish client dinners at the Masonette were over. Those three fancy restaurants struggled, and Cincinnati's downtown began to change. A lot of more affluent residents moved out. Companies like Procter & Gamble, uh, Kroger, they never left downtown. They stayed downtown. Uh, but it was just one of those things where people moved out to the suburbs, and they just didn't feel like paying for parking anymore <laughs> going downtown. It was part of the downturn also attributable to, to white flight? Yep. This trend continued through the 80s. The big three French restaurants survived, but their glory days were behind them. Kind of like the whole city. Cincinnati was down on its luck. Meanwhile, halfway across the country in New York City, a young French chef named Jean-Robert de Cavell was a rising star. He had trained under the top French chefs there, went out on his own, gotten great reviews. But there were so many fancy chefs in New York, the competition was fierce. And when the recession of the early 90s hit, restaurants struggled. Soon, Jean-Robert found himself looking for work, down on his luck. Then he got a call. It was Cincinnati. Well, sort of. It was the Maisonette, one of those fancy French places. They were looking for a new chef. Jean-Robert had heard of the restaurant, but as he told me, he didn't know anything about the city. And uh, we were looking at this desk on this Falofax, you know, like where Cincinnati was. You, you it was, literally opened up a, a book to look at a map. Yeah, and you we're looking know. at that, you know, looking where Cincinnati is. <laughs> we know it's near Cleveland. We know it's near Chicago. We're somewhere there, you know. <laughs> so anyway... I came and applied for the job, not really know what I would do with it if I got the job. And of course, you know, a um, few days later, they call me back and they offer me the job. So, and, uh, and, and what were the factors you were considering in making that I, decision? I didn't really, I didn't, I could not really give them an answer. I remember going to Central Park with a friend of mine and take a long walk and be like, okay, what do I do? And at the time I'm like, okay, you know, I don't have any, I don't have a job. And so I decide to, you know, I say, okay, I take the job. Jean Robert swiped right. He and his girlfriend moved to Cincinnati. And right away, one thing about the city surprised him. It reminded him of Lille, the city in northern France where he grew up. I mean, I guess Lille is very, actually, very similar to any city of the Midwest. You know, it's like industrial, you know, a lot of factories, a lot of large corporations. You know, it's not really a, a tourist attraction. If you're looking for the typical vacation, you know, ski or doing any type of a beach sport, you don't go to north of France, you don't go to Lille. Jean Robert figured he'd stay in Cincinnati for two or three years, then move back to New York or Europe to the next opportunity. Here again is food writer Keith Pandolfi. What ended up happening with him is that he fell in love with the city. Uh, he was welcomed with open arms, and he stayed at the Masonette for the next until, not until it closed, which was 2005, but until a couple years before that. He, he was there, and he maintained that five-star rating the whole time. Jean Robert says he realized that in Cincinnati, he was a bigger fish in a smaller pond. Newspapers were writing about him. He was becoming a local celebrity. 
he decided to use his newfound fame to do something he'd always dreamed of, opening his own restaurant. But Cincinnati was going through another rough patch. The downtown was still neglected, and tensions were high after a series of incidents of police brutality. In April 2001, a cop shot and killed an unarmed black man during a misdemeanor arrest. Riots erupted, the worst riots in America since L.A. in 92. Then came 9-11 and a downturn in the economy across the country. Around this time, tragedy also struck Jean Robert and his wife. Their first daughter died of SIDS when she was three months old. It seemed both the chef and the city were at rock bottom. Across Cincinnati, there was a massive outpouring of support for Jean Robert and his wife. When his new restaurant opened, he stood in the kitchen and sobbed. He cooked that night with one of his baby's socks in his pocket. Jean Robert needed Cincinnati, and the city needed him. Corporate leadership of Cincinnati starts realizing that no young people want to move there anymore because people want to live, they want a a healthy urban core. They want to live in the city. And what ended up happening is that Procter & Gamble, Kroger, Macy's, they all got kind of tired of waiting on the city to do something with that area. So the big companies funded a nonprofit to fix up Cincinnati's downtown. A lot of their work focused on a neighborhood called Over the Rhine, as in Rhine River in Germany. It was an old German area of the city. The plan was simple. Buy up buildings, restore them, and offer them up to restaurateurs like Jean Robert. Turn Over the Rhine into a dining mecca. And over the course of about 10 years, all of a sudden, Over uh, over the Rhine just took off. Uh, All these chefs are coming from Chicago, coming from New York, because they saw an opportunity to open up a a restaurant uh, that was affordable. And it it just changed the whole dining scene. And though we should say, I mean, the the revitalization of Over the Rhine has come at some cost. I mean, it's not that that there was nobody living there. It's just that the people who were living there didn't have a lot of money. uh, Yes. Over the Rhine was never abandoned. There were always thousands of people who were living in over the Rhine. It went from a German neighborhood to an Appalachian neighborhood to a mostly African-American neighborhood. So when we say that people abandoned downtown, white people abandoned downtown, there was a huge black community in Cincinnati that was unfortunately very neglected for many, many years. So it's bittersweet for me to see over the Rhine taking off now the way that it is, knowing that this was a vibrant happening neighborhood for, for decades and decades. We just basically gentrified the crap out of it. And I don't know where the people who lived in Over the Rhine are now, to tell you the truth. We opened the first restaurant Over the Rhine, um, and that was in 2004. And if I see the way it was and the way it is today, it's no comparison. I mean, no comparison. And, and everything I've read about the transformation of the downtown and the Over the Rhine neighborhood, I mean, supports what you're saying, that it really has been extraordinary. The, the population of downtown Cincinnati has doubled. And... Um, a lot of new buildings being built, um, new restaurants. Obviously, that's good for you. Not only, I mean, you've, you've been a part of that, but it's good for you as if more people with money move into the area, more people can go out to good restaurants. But I'm curious, you know, over the Rhine neighborhood was an overwhelmingly black neighborhood, much less so now. A lot of people have been displaced in order to make the transformation possible. How do you feel about that? That's, you know, I'm not a politician, so I'm right. not going but, to go. And, 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 and it is, I mean, and it is, I mean, I, you know, I, I think the city tried very hard to make sure, you know, to integrate all of the, you know, from people who've been living there for a while to try to have that collaboration with everybody. However you look at these developments, it's clear that by the late 2000s, Cincinnati's downtown and over the Rhine had changed a lot. 
Jean Robert and his business partners owned six restaurants in the area. The chef and the city were flying high, doing the chef in a city equivalent of skipping through a meadow holding hands. But soon, they would both be tested once again. Jean Robert had a falling out with his business partners. It was a bitter and public split that left him without any restaurants. He was as unemployed as he'd been the day he looked up Cincinnati on a map. And that's what the big time, do I stay or do I don't stay? And uh, Now's the time to leave. Now's the time to leave, yeah. You don't have any restaurants at that, at that no time. No restaurant. And, uh, but again, you decided to stay. I, I think I decided to stay and I go back to the same thing because of the support that I received from the community, you know. It was definitely a voice telling me, like, you know, jean Robert, we appreciate you here. You've been dedicated to the city. You cannot just move on. And, of course, and time flies. I mean, time goes by quickly. And, and actually, maybe year after year, I became the biggest ambassador because I, I realized that town is actually an amazing town to live. Growing up in Cincinnati, you're always afraid of who, what's going to leave, who's going to leave, what businesses are going to leave, what sports teams are going to leave. You're always afraid. You're hanging on for dear life. I, I think there was a fear that he was going to leave because he gave us legitimacy. We needed him. And thankfully, thank God, he stayed. You know, he's been through very good times and bad with that city, and they've really treated him like a, a member of the family. Jean Robert began rebuilding his restaurant empire. By 2018, when I visited, he had six restaurants around the city, everything from the super high-end Restaurant L to a stand at the Bengals football stadium. He and Cincinnati had tied the knot. They'd be together forever. But as with any long-term relationship, there are certain things about the other person that you never really understand. You know, I mean, of course, Cincinnati is well known for their chili, but, you know, it's not something I've even been here for 25 years and nothing against anyone who loves to eat them. I'm not some, uh, I don't crave for that yet. You know? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> that was my conversation with Jean Robert from 2018. Not long after, he was diagnosed with cancer. Then the pandemic happened, which accelerated a trend. Fine dining was on the way out. A lot of restaurants closed, and Jean Robert's were no exception. By the time he died, he was down to two places. But when Keith and I spoke recently, he told me none of those things could stop Jean Robert. I think for Jean Robert, his philosophy was, we're all dying. We, we just don't know when we're going to die, but we're all dying. So we all thought maybe he'd retire. You know, he'd had quite the career. We figured it was time for him to kind of step back and relax, but he did just the opposite. He doubled down. He went back to one of his restaurants and cooked there every single night, literally till the night he died. There were days, some days were much worse than others. And when he wasn't feeling well, people would say, Jean Robert, go home, go home, relax. And he would just say, what am I going to do? Go home and watch television? What kind of life is that? But he just didn't want to go home. He did. He never wanted to just sit and relax. He was so happy in the kitchen. Today, you can see Jean Robert's legacy all over Cincinnati's restaurant scene, including at many places that have nothing to do with fine French cuisine. After the break, we'll hear how that happened. Plus, we're inspired to honor him by inventing a new Cincinnati food craze. Stick around. Time to cook up some advertisements. If you're like me, the first thing you do when traveling is check out what's happening with the local food scene, right? 
And as I've been planning my big book tour and live podcast tapings all around the country, man, I am very excited to eat my way across the nation. There's Atlanta, there's Miami, and so many more. Going to local restaurants gives you a great taste of that place. And if you pay your bill with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum Amex, you get double miles at restaurants. Getting a taste of local food is the best way to get to know the local culture. And if you travel, you know that's how it's done. The Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. If you travel, you know. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, a business tripper, or a long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. They've got over 7,000 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels, and you will get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. I especially love those Cambria Hotels. They have locally inspired hotel bars with all kinds of specialty cocktails, downtown locations right in the center of all the action. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces. That way, if you're a business traveler, you'll be able to get all your work done. On-site restaurants, fantastic. And then at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles and great pools for the whole family and spacious rooms. I mean, if you have kids, you understand the importance of the pool. If you stay at a hotel with a pool, Almost nothing else matters. Fortunately, all the Choice Hotels take care of all the other stuff too, but I mean, a pool is a great start. Whatever kind of vacation you're going on, whatever kind of travel you're doing, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. It's been chilly here in the Northeast lately, and we have been on a big grilled cheese dipped into tomato sauce kick here in the Pashman household. And I've been making the grilled cheese with Hero sliced bread. The kids like the Hero classic white bread. I like the Hero seeded bread. It's fluffy. The crust is just right. And I like that the slices are sliced just a little bit thicker than a lot of other sliced breads. You griddle it in butter. You add some cheese. You dip it in the soup. Phenomenal. And all the Hero breads are low in net carbs and they're high in fiber. All these Hero Breads are delicious and flavorful. They'll give you that soft, fluffy experience you love when enjoying a refreshing BLT, savory breakfast burrito, or mouth-watering cheeseburger. So whether you're making homemade grilled cheese, BLT, maybe a you know, tuna melt sounds nice on some Hero seeded bread. I bet that would be really good. Maybe you're doing sliders on the Hawaiian rolls. Whatever it is, Hero has the bread for you. Don't give up being a breadhead. And Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and use code SPORKFUL at checkout. That's code SPORKFUL at H-E-R-O dot C-O. I just got a very wonderful shipment of goodies from the folks at Reese's. And let me tell you something. These people remain the absolute worldwide leaders in bringing together chocolate and peanut butter. Of course, we know that peanut butter cups remain transcendent. But have you tried the Reese's Sticks? They're wafers with peanut butter in between each wafer, all coated in chocolate. I mean, the combination of sweet chocolate and salty peanut butter just brings people joy, and the folks at Reese's do it better than anyone. So shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you, found wherever candy is sold. Welcome back to The Sporkful. I'm Dan Pashman. Last week's episode was a little different. My pal Jacob Goldstein from the podcast What's Your Problem? He came over to my kitchen and we cooked through the past, present, and future of meat alternatives. First, there was the Garden Burger. Now there's Impossible and Beyond Meat. And in the future, not too distant future, in fact, you may see lab-grown meat in your supermarket. I talked to one of the scientists who's working on lab-grown chicken, which at some point in the process is a slurry. Jacob and I have some thoughts on that marketing. So not that they asked, but my tip to them would be stop using the word slurry to describe any part of your process. We don't want a slurry. We don't want a bioreactor. <laughs> right. like, basically, don't let a scientist talk yeah. to you. Just show me the chicken. <laughs> yeah, like I, I don't want to eat meat that at any point was a slurry. No. 
How close is the future of lab-grown meat? Find out. That episode's up now. Get it wherever you got this one. Okay, back to Jean Robert and Cincinnati. Food writer Keith Pandolfi didn't live in the city when I spoke with him originally. Like many others, he had left in search of bigger and better opportunities. But three years ago, he moved back. As a food writer at the Cincinnati Enquirer, he knew Jean Robert. He'd see him from time to time at his restaurants. And he knew Jean Robert was sick. Keith was on a trip to Florida when he heard that Jean Robert died. When I was driving back to Cincinnati, as I was approaching the city, I just couldn't help think that it wasn't the same city anymore. It felt very empty without him. A few weeks later, the family held the memorial service, the one where all the chefs dressed in white. Uh, We've got every chef from any restaurant I've ever covered, it seems right now. Most of them worked at some point for Jean Robert at the Masonette or Pagal's or Jean Robert's table. Uh, We're seeing the most talented chefs the city has to offer right here. After the service, Keith spoke with some of the mourners. One of them was a bartender named Jen Watts. I worked for John Robert at Jean Robistro um, starting in 2005, and I was very, very intimidated. I didn't know anything about fine dining or fine wine. I didn't take French. I told him I didn't know how to pronounce anything, and I was nervous. I asked him some key words, how to say them correctly, and he said, girl, sneer when you say it, and you'll sound more French. <laughs> the famous chef Danielle Belloud flew in from New York to celebrate Jean Robert. They knew each other from their days together in New York two French chefs trying to make a name for themselves in America. Outside the church, Danielle remembered visiting Jean Robert in Cincinnati. And they even gave me those Cooney dog. <laughs> Cooney dog, what do you call it? The Cooney dogs. Yeah, the Cooney dogs, yeah. <laughs> that was very Jean Robert, like, you know. <laughs> I know for the Americans, they like to give them foie gras and all that, but for the French, they like to give them the American stuff. <laughs> It was funny, uh, with that cheese on top. It was very good, actually. What he left behind, it's incredible. Cincinnati loved him, and I think he loved Cincinnati back so much. It seems that Jean Robert's legacy actually has very little to do with the food he cooked. Instead, it's his relationship with the city and all those chefs who showed up at his memorial. You can't go into any kitchen in the city and not find someone who worked for him at some point. They're not cooking the same foods that he cooked, but one chef told me, Jose Salazar, who's a pretty well-known chef here in town, he told me, if chefs in Cincinnati say the word chef, like chef told me this or chef told me that, they all knew exactly who you were talking about. It was always Jean Robert. He was chef to everyone. He just was the common thread. Whether a chef owned a Vietnamese restaurant or a French restaurant or a Chinese restaurant, they they all had worked for him at some point in their career. And he had taught them so many lessons about not just cooking, but respect and compassion and how to love what you're doing. Jose Salazar compares Jean Robert to a tree. All the chefs he trained and mentored are the branches that spread out across the city, opening their own places. Today, these restaurants have led to a new era in Cincinnati food. Cincinnati, pre-pandemic, had everything that other cities have. We had a gourmet hot dog shop. We had a hot chicken place. A million gourmet burger places. But none of them were really uniquely Cincinnati. I feel like now we're embracing 
who we are a little bit more than we did before. There's a little bit more pride in what we're doing now. I think Cincinnati kind of went more along the way of uh, Pittsburgh and uh, St. Louis, even Nashville, cities like that, were, that were just like, you know what? We're as good as everyone else. We, we have something special here that nobody else has. One example, Cincinnati historically had a big community of German immigrants and their descendants. Keith told me about a German bakery in northern Kentucky, just across the river from Cincinnati. And it's not just German, it's Swabian, which is a specific region of Germany. I mean, this area is going deep on German food. Meanwhile, other classic Cincinnati foods are also seeing a revival. People are finally starting to do cool things with Geta. <laughs> <laughs> Geta is kind of like Scrapple in Philly. It's a mixture of oats and ground meat formed into a loaf, then sliced and fried. At the end, it looks like a sausage patty. So you're seeing that appear on a lot more restaurant menus. We have a new ramen joint that opened up where they do a chili ramen, Cincinnati-style chili ramen. And if you want a gateway to Cincinnati chili, uh, where all those flavors are just concentrated into one really beautiful dish, you can get it at this place called Mochico. Even the places that are trying to do something really different are embracing uh, who we are, whether it's the chili or the geta or anything like that. Now, this ramen Cincinnati chili mashup sounds exciting and also amusing because so when I was in Cincinnati, we we did a whole story at Camp Washington Chili, one of the sort of more neighborhood, longstanding chili parlors. Yeah, and I stayed in touch with Maria there. And when when Cascatelli, when my pasta shape came out, I sent her some. I was like, Hey, Maria, like I'm telling you this. Like Cincinnati chili, this would be great with Cincinnati chili because all the the ground meat will go into those the ruffles. It's going to be so good. So she tried it out. I think maybe they served it for one day. I was she, there. Oh, oh, you were there. So, 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 what did you think? First of all, what did you think of it? Oh my god! I mean, it be was honest, amazing. You, you can no, tell me. I felt I'm being totally honest. It, I it was absolutely amazing, and I actually have been buying it to the at the local grocery store here to make with my own homemade chili. I think it works perfectly. When I followed up with, with Maria, she said, you know, your pasta's great, but I just don't think that Cincinnatians, like, <laughs> th th they, they like their chili the way they like their chili. Yeah. It's traditionally served on spaghetti, and that's how they want it. And I was like, okay, you know, I respect that. That's the tradition. But now you're telling me that it sounds like maybe there are some new ideas coming into Cincinnati chili. Yeah. I don't think you're going to find those new ideas at a parlor like Camp Washington. Because <laughs> right, right. I don't know if you remember when Skyline Chili changed their oyster crackers. I mean, the, they almost burned the city down over that one. <laughs> but if you want to start, you know, floating that idea to some of the the, the newer restaurants, uh, I bet they would they'd be game. It's interesting that you say that Cincinnati is becoming more Cincinnati. It may be that in fact one of Jean Robert's lasting legacies is just local pride instilling mm. a sense of real local pride in the city that mm. maybe it was struggling to find when he first arrived. Yeah. He chose us. He chose to do his thing here. Jean Robert kind of taught chefs that had come here from cities like New York or Los Angeles that it's a really good city to take a chance on. It's cool if you just want to hang out here. It's cool if you love it here. He loved it. Uh, so, yeah, I think he did instill that kind of a pride that we never had before. I never thought about that, but that he was just a huge reason for that. That's why we have a good food scene here is because people aren't ashamed to live here. You know, Cincinnati is one of these cities that like, you know, you grow up here and you're like, I'm getting out of this damn town as soon as I can. And then 
like me, I went away for 20 years and I came back. And I think part of the reason that I came back was I thought, well, Sean Bear is there, so how bad could it be? He loves it. But I think he did make this whole city, he reminded us of the things we should be proud of. Before we wrap up, just stay with me here. I want to add one more thing, okay? In the spirit of Cincinnati pride and bringing new ideas to the food scene, in the last couple years, I've really enjoyed watching the city's football team, the Bengals. Now, I'm a, I'm a New York Giants fan, but these Bengals, they're a lot of fun to watch. They made it all the way to the Super Bowl last year, but lost. This year, they felt just a few heartbreaking plays short of making it back to the big game. Now, if I was bummed, I can only imagine how folks in the city are feeling. So with this newfound local pride and the growth of the food scene, I have an idea I want to pitch to Keith. I think that we need a new Cincinnati Bengals Super Bowl party food craze. All right. So let's think outside the box. So look, we got the old standbys. There's Cincinnati chili. There's Geta, which is the mystery meat sausage patty kind of situation. But then you've got these new influences. and You've got these new chefs coming in. And then I, I, I like the idea of nodding to Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, the stars of the Bengals, who both went to LSU. So you get this like Louisiana Cajun situation going. Mm-hmm. What about a Geta Muffaletta? Oh. Oh. Huh? Oh, my God. Huh? I'm not just trying to suck up to the host here, but that's brilliant. <laughs> How has no one thought of that? And like six feet long with a long bread, like for the for the. Do you foot, think the, the olive game. spread would work well on that? I'm trying to think. How would they? I bet they could yeah. do like a house made getta that would fit the flavor profile of a muffaletta. I love that. <laughs> I really do. I might just make it this weekend. Do it. Do it. Genius. I'm not kidding. Yeah, you know, and I think the getta is kind of like the doesn't get the the attention it deserves. We all everybody's always debating the chili, but Geta in, in the same way that like Scrapple, you know, in Philly doesn't get the attention that cheesesteaks get. I, I love it. And we're due for a new sandwich here. That's Keith Pandolfi. He's a food and dining writer for the Cincinnati Inquirer, and I have some exciting news. Keith reached out to Paul and Neil Baracco, the brothers who own the Governor Modern Diner in Cincinnati, and they're going to make the Get'em Affaletta for Super Bowl weekend. It's only going to be available Friday and Saturday, February 10th and 11th. Now, as you may know, a muffaletta is a classic New Orleans sandwich. It's usually made on nice Italian bread with sliced cold cuts and olive salad. The governor's version is going to be more of a German take, using house-made getta, Lebanon bologna, and pickle loaf to play off the typical olive salad. That's going to have a vegetable jardinera, crystal hot sauce mayo. I'm not even sure what that is, but, I mean, shredded lettuce, sharp provolone served on freshly baked bread. I'm like halfway to Cincinnati right now. I Guys, just save me one, okay? Next time I'm in the city, I need one of these things. You can get it this weekend, again, at The Governor, this Friday and Saturday only. One more note, we'll link to Jean-Robert de Cavell's obituary in our show notes. And if you're in Cincinnati, you can still eat at Jean-Robert's restaurants, Le Bar à Bouffe, and French Crust. Next week for Valentine's Day, I talk with actor Alan Alda and his wife Arlene about their meat cute more than 60 years ago, involved eating a cake off the floor. That's next week. 
While you're waiting for that one, check out our episode on Meat Alternatives, co-hosted with Jacob Goldstein. Our episode in 2018 with Jean Robert was produced by Ann Sani, Aviva de Kornfeld, and me. Gianna Palmer edited it, and Dan DeZula mixed it. Our production team now includes senior producer Emma Morgenstern and producer Andres O'Hara. Our editor is Tracy Samuelson. The episode was mixed by Jared O'Connell. Special thanks to Tana Weingartner, who recorded sound at Jean Robert's memorial, and to Jasmine Ruffin. Music help from Black Label Music. The Sporkful is a production of Stitcher. Our executive producers are Colin Anderson and Nora Ritchie. Until next time, I'm Dan Pashman. And I'm Sylvia in Cincinnati, Ohio, reminding you to eat more, eat better, and eat more better. Can you sing the entire WKRP in Cincinnati theme song from memory? Can I speak it instead of singing? Sure. Baby, if you ever wondered, wondered whatever became of me, I'm living on the air in Cincinnati, Cincinnati WKRP. I think it's gone town to town, packing and unpacking, round and round, up and down the dial. Maybe you and me were never meant to be, but maybe think of me once in a while. I'm at WKRP in Cincinnati. Wow, you really are from Cincinnati. (laughs) (laughs) BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a house. It's your home, the place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy.